0: Welcome once again to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all of God's distant creatures.
1: (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. We are also distant, but not distant in heart from all of you. And we are bringing you today a bunch of sappiness, along with some excellent biblical exegetical work on Genesis 28 by our very own Tim McNinch. So, Tim, what do you got for us this week?
0: All right, so Genesis 28 is the story of Jacob at Bethel, a sort of classic biblical tale. And uh, the first thing I'd say right off the bat is that it's important to give your hearers when you're preaching this text a sense of the context of this story. Because mm. it's the lectionary sort of plops us down right in the thick of this big Old Testament telenovela of family <laughs> drama uh, in, this, in this story. And this one comes at a sort of pivotal moment, a moment of great tension, and it pulls the curtain back for just a second to give a glimpse of the divine perspective on these events.
1: Yeah, ab- no, that's a great point. This is a hard text to preach out of context, and we have the chance to remind people of the context since they got some a bit for the last few weeks. So, mm-hmm. absolutely take that chance. Um, but for us now, listeners, uh, what can you tell them about that context that might be important to lift up?
0: Yeah, I mean, hopefully you all are doing a great Genesis series, and you can just give a quick reminder of what you preached on the last couple of weeks. Yeah, um, but this this particular story comes in the Jacob and Esau drama. Just after uh, Jacob has deceived his father Isaac into giving him the special blessing that was meant for the eldest son. So the whole thing that happened with the pot of stew and the text that we covered last Mm. week plays out at the end of Isaac's life when he's giving the blessing. Mm. And uh, Jacob kind of finagles it uh, away from his brother. And now Esau is out to get revenge. So it's, it's a critical moment. And Jacob's mother spares his life by getting Isaac to send Jacob away to her family to find a wife way out in uh, Padan Aram, which mm. is out of harm's way. And on the way there, he gets to what the NRSV calls in verse 11 a certain place, <laughs> which is great. The Hebrew actually says he happened upon the place. Mm. In fact, verse 11 repeats that phrase, the place, three times in that single verse, huh. which makes us ask, uh, what place? And we would know that uh, the place, that emphasis means that it's a holy site of some sort.
1: Yeah, I think actually our very first episode, didn't we talk about Hamakom with Jacob Wright? I That's think That's right. Yeah, so mm-hmm. so we've talked about it, but it's been a while. Um, to, why don't you flesh that out for our listeners? So it's an ordinary word, makom, place, that has super ordinary – no, that's the wrong words – super ordinary, extraordinary, extraordinary resonance. There we go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, uh, makom is just the word for place, right? But uh, in these texts and within the, the wider uh, ancient Near Eastern context – uh these places were sites of divine encounter with humanity so these mm. sacred sites would often be signaled by the use of the term place mm. um so if you're if you're preaching this and you get you want to use the english word place you might just be talking along you kind of slow down right there the place yeah
1: the <laughs> place yes oh <laughs> and, I have a good story about that can I tell it real quick tell it when we lived in Minnesota we went to a family camp every year we went to at Green Lake Bible camp and our kids were really little the first year we took them um, and I think it was either the second or the third year we went Sophia had started to develop our oldest had started to develop like long-term memories she was mm-hmm. just really kind of grappling with that and we drove there late enough at night that she, was asleep and so she didn't wake up until the next morning Had no idea where she was but as as we walked out of the cabin towards the dining hall we peeked over the hill and all of a sudden she stopped short and she said mom this is the place there's the (laughs) dining hall there's the lake that's the playground this is the place
0: yes that is perfect that's exactly (laughs) it our ears should perk up when we're reading this text and we hear the the narrator say He arrived at the place. We should have that same sort of reaction that Sophia had.
1: Awesome. Okay. Anyway, so back to the Hebrew.
0: Yeah, yeah. While we're on insights from Hebrew, another repeated word that gets kind of lost in modern English is that little presentative word, hine. Mm -hmm. Hine is used four times in Jacob's dream here. There's hine, uh, a ladder, a ramp. There's hine, messengers, Hinei aronai is there. Hinei I am with you.
1: Mm. So I, when you say presentative word what exactly do you mean by that?
0: Yeah, that's just a little grammatical term for what that little that little particle hine does. It's it's used to um, sort of give something unexpected to the to the reader or to the hearer. Mm, nice. Uh, it kind of the way in English we would use the word here. Here.
1: Mm. Ah, it's nice. a presentative.
0: Here I'm giving this to you. Mm-hmm. Little little particle. Um, and I love the word hine. <laughs> I love it when it pops up, uh, particularly because we don't often use that kind of language in our colloquial English, mm-hmm. behold. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and it works so well in a dream narrative. You can kind of picture a dream unfolding with these mm-hmm. unexpected appearances. Like, I was dreaming and, whoa, a ziggurat right on this spot. <laughs> And then, whoa, there's divine messengers going up and down on it. Whoa, God's standing here right next to me. (laughs) How how long have you been standing there? (laughs) But all of those hines are kind of set up for that last hine coming from God's voice. Hine, wherever you go, I am there with you. And that's the big payoff because... In context, Jacob is leaving behind everything that's familiar to him his land, his family, he's heading into the unknown. So, this is a really moving promise from God. Even in your exile, he, nay, I am with you and I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. I think yeah. Jacob's probably not the only guy to need that kind of assurance.
1: Oh, no, yeah, that would be. I think that's relevant for so many. I mean, you could talk about its relevance in our time right now, but you could talk about its relevance, you know, in just the broader scope of history. You know, the Jews in Babylonian exile, the Jewish later diaspora, um, those of us right now who find our normalcy so disrupted and so in the midst of the unknown.
0: Amen. Hallelujah. There's your sermon.
1: <laughs> hey, <Hene>, a sermon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: Well, and it's funny, um, it's funny too because at the end of the story, I've always cracked up at Jacob's response because God gives him this amazing vision and this amazing promise. And then in verse 20, Jacob says, I'll make a vow saying that if you remain with me, then you shall be my God. And I just picture God being like, Thanks, pal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice of you to to allow me to be your deity.
0: <laughs> Still the bargainer, that yeah, Jacob. right now,
1: mm-hmm. always, always healing. So, so so let me back you up a step, though. You you mentioned in Jacob's dream that he saw a ziggurat. And for those who uh, yeah. aren't familiar, that's like a Mesopotamian temple that has kind of steps leading up to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't it like a ladder or a stairway to heaven? And does it even matter what we call it?
0: Uh, well, <laughs> it probably doesn't matter too much what we call this for a sermon. But it is kind of interesting. the The word that's used there, sulam. Is only found here in Genesis uh-huh. twenty eight twelve. It's found nowhere else in Scripture. So oh, tell them
1: tell them the term for a word that's nowhere else in Scripture.
0: Hapax legomena.
1: Oh, it's such a good term. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, so it's a hapax. It only <laughs> appears here. So that makes it hard for translators to make sense of it, to translate mm-hmm. it well. And you know, for all we know, ladder or stairway might be just as good a translation into English as maybe a more precise word ramp. Uh, but scholars surmise from other cognate words and in, in related languages that this this word sulam does refer to a kind of stepped ramp, the kind that was typical on the sides of those Mesopotamian uh, pyramid temples or ziggurats. Mm. And and really, that makes perfect sense in context that Jacob would envision in his dream the kind of structure known in his own cultural context to be the way that humans could ascend to converse with the deities. Mm. Now I don't I don't think a preacher needs to go into all of that, but it does help us sort of decode that imagery a little bit. In this vision, in this dream, Jacob wasn't seeing like a way for people to get to heaven or, or anything like that. The stairway uh, that he saw was a communication line, sort of red phone to God's desk, or, or maybe like a, a T1 high-speed internet connection straight to God. <laughs> the the point of the vision was that in this place. Jacob could hear God's voice directly to him. And that voice had words of blessing and reassurance. Mm.
1: No, I like that, especially because if you go with that image of a ziggurat, of a place where people ascended to speak to the divine ones, what's so interesting about having a ziggurat here is God actually descends it to come to speak to Jacob. So it's a neat kind of flip, which maybe makes that hinné promise, I am with you, all the more powerful because of that.
0: Mm-hmm. That does make sense. In fact, the the third of those four Hines is whoa, God's standing here next to me. <laughs> yeah,
1: <right.
0: laughs> he's kind of gazing, gazing up the ramp, and all of a sudden he looks to the side and whoa, <laughs> there's God.
1: <laughs> okay, anyway, back on track. So, what sort of preaching angles or preaching pitfalls do you have for us?
0: Sure. Uh, really, just one pitfall to point out. Uh, those of you who are Christian preachers might uh, hear this story and and have something else bouncing around in your memory, Jesus' calling of Nathaniel in John 1, 43 to 51. Mm. There in verse 51, Jesus says to him, Yeah, you know, you're gonna see greater things than this. You're gonna see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And uh, at least for me I'm so familiar with that text in John that it's hard to read this one in Genesis without <laughs> kind of automatically uh, mapping the one in John on, t- on top of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's fine. Uh, I'm calling this a pitfall, but, you know, it's, it's fine to consider the way that John's Jesus kind of borrows the image from this text. Mm-hmm. But I think the temptation, the pitfall is to read that back into this text as if the story was like predicting Jesus with this dream this story has its own meaning, and then it gets reinterpreted in the New Testament. And I think we can think about both of those meanings and hold them together without letting one do away with the other. Does that make sense?
1: Mm. Nice. Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So as far as preaching this text, uh, there were a couple points that kind of stood out to me that we could sort of lift from here and bring into our contemporary context. One is the way that um, this falls in the in the. It's such a pivotal point in this family drama. Turns out that God is actually active in all of this weird family drama. <laughs> and the the promises that were made to Abraham get re-spoken here to Jacob, that I will be with you, I will make you into a great nation, I will um, bless you and make you a blessing to, to others. That even though he's on the run for his life from his brother, that when, he, when the curtain gets pulled back a little bit, we see that God's involved when, in this. And and that could be a great preaching point for all of the drama that we find mm-hmm. ourselves in as well. Mm-hmm. That we might wonder, oh, what is God up to here? And turns out that um, none of this is strange to God or God's not um, hiding or off-napping somewhere. Like, God is involved in this too if we could only... Uh, be able to see what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's really beautiful. And that God brings, God enters into those weird family dramas that all of us has have with promise and with blessing. Yeah. You know, behind the curtain is a deity who is hene, promise and blessing. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. nice. So I, th- I think that there's a sermon there. The The other sort of aspect of the story that I think comes right to the surface is that's that's use of the word makom of place the way that the place is emphasized in the beginning and then at the end of the story it comes back again when Jacob wakes up and names the place bethel hmm. the the house of god and i think there's there's some insight that this this ordinary place just a a, a you know a rest stop on the way to his destination turns out to be holy ground hmm. I think holy spaces are not always where we expect them to be. If only we could pull back the curtain and see the reality, we'd exclaim where we are, God is here. Mm-hmm. This is none other than the house of God. And I, I think that's important, especially in a time like right now, perhaps when uh, our uh, we're limited with where we can go and travel and kind of where we're at and limited in the ways that we can't necessarily uh, gather in the places where we usually commune with each well other and God. Yeah. But who knows, maybe right here where you're sitting right now is a holy place. Mm. That God is here. Maybe this is a little Beth L as well.
1: Mm. That's really powerful. I think that there's there's a lot of grief right now and people not being able to come to go to their places if you're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, they're the place for them. Um, and to to both acknowledge that and then to also sort of start to maybe open up our imaginations to how we might have littler the places that we can still feel close to God in the midst of all of this. I think that's really helpful. Well, thanks, Tim. Uh, folks, we hope and pray that you are doing well in the midst of all of this stuff. And um, we hope and pray that for you this week, you can find holy space. And that you can see where God is coming to you in the midst of all of this with promise and blessing. Um, And if that spoke to you and helped your sermon, please subscribe or share. Until next time, I'm Rachel Wren.
0: And I'm Tim McVinch. Blessings to you all in your ministry.